Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for coming to this, the latest in the LSE European Institute APCA Worldwide Perspectives on Europe lecture series. I'm Damien Chalmers, head of the European Institute. Today, it is a great, uh, great pleasure and highly relevant to have uh, Joaquin Almunia, the Vice President of the European Commission and Commissioner for Competition, talking about competition and regulation, microeconomic support for macroeconomic recovery, for those who can't read that. Um, it's a big topic and an important topic, and it really is difficult to think of anyone that, that is better placed to talk about this than Joaquin Almunia. Not only because of his current portfolio as Commissioner for Competition, prior to that, however, he was Commissioner for Economic and Monetary Affairs, and he's also served as leader of the Socialist Party in Spain and been Minister of Employment there. If anyone is placed to see the links between, if you like, macroeconomic performance and the microprocesses of competition and regulation and the impact not just on, uh, if you like, our overall competitiveness, but also the wider debates about employment, it is Mr. Amonier. He will be speaking for about half an hour on this topic, and we'll then have about half an hour for questions. I hope you will join me in warmly welcoming him to the stage. Okay, good afternoon. Uh, first of all, uh, I would like to thank uh, Professor Chalmers and the European Institute of LSE for this uh, invitation to be with you today. I always had a, a lot of respect, intellectual respect for uh, this institution, for LSE. And uh, I think that uh, what characterizes uh, LSE, among many other things, is that uh, through uh, its uh, professors and uh, through its uh, uh, lectures and Courses is an institution that believes in market forces, but recognizes that markets by themselves cannot deliver social justice. And if this is true, I fully agree with this. If this is not true in the case of LSE, I would recommend LSE to follow this line. But uh, this is uh, a more technical speech, not uh, I will not come back to my previous political experience in my own country. Now I am uh, responsible for competition policy in the European Commission since February this year. And I would like to discuss with you the combination of competition instruments and regulation, or if you want to uh, raise the same question with different uh, terms, microeconomic support for a macroeconomic recovery. These relations between uh, markets and uh, uh, social justice, between uh, free markets and uh, public intervention through regulation has always been extremely interesting and relevant. But with the financial crisis that exploded uh, in 2007, A period of uh, dominance of uh, free marketeers and deregulators, I think, has come to an end. And today, many people questioned the merits of free markets and wondered about the consequences of uh, markets without intervention, without regulation, can have for all the citizens, for the society. And I think this concern is right. If we look at the financial sector, we know that uh, very often unregulated bankers have operated beyond their ability to understand the risks. The failures of this lack of capability to understand risks led to a spiral of losses, bankruptcy, bailouts, and yet more losses. 
and the sector as such, the financial services sector, that was regarded as uh, what can be considered, using French names, the haute couture of free markets, was found to be wearing the emperor's new clothes of the uh, story. The problems that this uh, uh, banking sector has created spilled over over the entire economy. In other words, microeconomic mistakes that uh, had the origin in the financial sector, not in all the financial institutions, but in some relevant financial institutions, led to macroeconomic problems. And now we need both macro and micro economic solutions to put our economies back on track. If uh, I had been uh, here one year ago as uh, commissioner responsible for macroeconomic uh, and monetary affairs, I would have talked to you about the macroeconomic side of this contribution. Today, I will uh, approach the same reality from the uh, microeconomic point of view. This crisis is the best example about the need to find a better balance between the markets and the rest of the society. On the one hand, we know that our societies, all the citizens, benefit from uh, free markets, from a market economy. But on the other hand, we need to protect the citizens and our society as such from the risks of unregulated markets. On the one hand, governments should be ready to intervene in the economy. On the other hand, their intervention should be kept under controlled limits to be efficient and sustainable. How we can find the basic principles of this delicate balance? The first principle is that government is not good at predicting how people want to spend their time or their money. And we have very, very ample evidence of that. Over the past decades, we have moved away from state monopolies. We have moved away from heavy regulation towards a more liberalized model. For years, we have tried to get rid of measures that gave the control of key markets to government and special interest bodies. And those were usually wise moves. Private ent entrepreneurship reaped the benefits of innovation, globalization, and technological change. And this brought tremendous success to many sectors. We can mention, among others, telecoms, transport, and the financial services itself. Looking back before the present crisis, liberalized financial markets allowed private entities to take over sectors managed by government bodies and bring fresh dynamism to them. Firms do not need to be protected by a special interest regulation and they do not need the lifeline of financial support to be competitive. In fact, firms are weakened by these safety nets in the long run. A degree of discomfort, of insecurity, keeps them, the firms, the companies, on their tools and pushes them towards better performance. This is the first principle. The second one is that uh, in the phrase state monopolies, the problematic bit is not a state, but monopolies. A monopoly, whether it's controlled by a public body or by a private uh, CEO, will never deliver dynamism and innovation. A company competing, com competing on a free market does deliver 
dynamism. The professor who taught in this uh, house and who won the Nobel Prize for Economics, Sir John Hicks, wrote that the best of all monopoly profits is a quiet life. And this applies regardless of who runs the monopoly. So taking control of a market away from the state only to place it de facto in the hands of a single firm or group is a big mistake. Private firms will adopt practices in the case of a monopolist position that entrench their dominance and get rid of competition unless they are regulated and controlled. The third lesson learned in the past decades is that deregulation can go too far and too fast. Instead of creating a free market utopia, it can create a lawless disorder. If the telecoms operators had simply been privatized in the 80s or in the 90s of the past century, we would not have seen the tremendous change in the sector from which we have all benefited. Privatization, in the case of this uh, telecom sector, was followed by regulatory measures designed to foster competition on the telecom markets. It's because of regulation that we have seen so much dynamism in this industry. The regulation can also go too far if companies are allowed to engage in behavior that destroys their value and the value of other companies as well. Financial firms' behavior during this uh, crisis has produced losses that nearly brought down the world economy. We need to put in place regulatory reforms that will prevent this from happening again. So after these considerations, let me recap my main argument so far. Our capacity to grow and to innovate finds its best environment in free markets. However, as any human endeavor, there must be rules to follow. And this is the delicate balance I referred earlier. Markets should be allowed to function freely, and at the same time, rules must be set. In particular, some rules are designed to enhance competition, rather than serving other public objectives. In these cases, another sort of balance needs to be found between competition rules and a specific regulation. Often, these are presented as cases of ex-post control by competition rules, compared to an ex-ante control by regulation. But I find this division too simplistic and general. Why I found this uh, distinction simplistic? Because competition rules can have an ex-ante impact as well. When the implications of the rules are clear, the actors affected by them should adjust their behavior accordingly. Take, for example, the measures against the creation of cartels. Companies know that price fixing is against the law, and most of those companies do not engage in such activity. In general, our decisions and guidance provide companies with the information they need so that they can adapt their behavior to the rules. Two examples of uh, recent uh, decisions we adopted at the Commission level are the exemption at guidelines on vertical restraints, the block exemption on vertical agreements that we adopted in April, and the draft on horizontal agreements that are currently being discussed in a public consultation and that we will adopt finally before the end of this year. But this uh, example of uh, rules that can uh, advocate for good uh, practices of uh, companies regarding competition 
does not apply to antitrust measures only. In a state aid, regarding the rules of a state aid, the governments know that a straightforward operating aid is illegal and that the Commission will block such an aid. As a consequence, we now no longer see the massive cash gifts that the governments gave to some companies in the past. Even during this crisis, aid to industry was not disbursed as a gift, but has taken the form of loans and guarantees granted at the same terms and on the basis of the same European-wide rules. Our economy and our taxpayers are better off as a result. These uh, cases of state aid that had been handled during the financial crisis had established important precedents that the financial firms will have to bear in mind in the future. In fact, as I said in some occasions, thanks to these uh, uh, rules for the uh, uh, state aid that can be allocated or given to financial firms during a crisis, had produced as a consequence that we, the European Commission, we are probably the only jurisdiction that has explicitly tackled moral hazard in dealing with the financial crisis. Through our rules of, on state aid, we make sure that government bailouts come with conditions, such as haircuts or restructuring requirements, so that companies that have run the, their businesses badly pay the price. I hope that companies will bear this in mind in the future when deciding, for example, how much risk they can take on board. Again, this ex post control of competition instruments, in this case state aid rules, can lead to ex ante regulation and changes in behavior. Let me expand a little bit more on this point. The markets deliver productive allocative and dynamic efficiency. They do not, by themselves, deliver social justice or other public policy objectives. Markets cannot be asked to reduce pollution, protect the safety of consumers, or broaden access to essential services such as energy, water, or basic means of communication. These are tasks for public policy. Thus, competition policy, among other things, ensures that we don't pay too much and don't place too heavy a burden on economic activity to attain public policy objectives. Again, let me give you a couple of examples. The vast majority of uh, people in Europe expects public authorities to protect the environment for the present and future generations. Thanks to our competition policy, we try to make sure that environmental regulations do not create unnecessary restrictions in the market. At the same time, state aid rules authorize aid to companies to support environmental projects in sectors, uh, in different sectors, steel, car, or ener energy, or others. Similarly, last year, we published a communication clarifying under which conditions EU countries can support Public service, public service broadcasting. Thanks to these guidelines, European governments can fund the public service mission they have identified while keeping distortions of competition to a minimum. I have been telling so far general policies, or cases linked with general policies. However, the bulk of competition policy is about enforcing European law on a case-by-case -case basis and after the fact. As responsible for competition in the European Commission, I want to maintain a strong enforcement uh, of these rules. I need to uh, commit to this uh, strong enforcement to promote a dynamic and competitive economy using all our instruments of uh, control of mergers, antitrust, and state aid. But competition laws are not enough. <coughs> competition rules work best when market abuse is occasional. 
When markets are structurally prone to capture and abuse, the case-by-case -case action, that is the competition policy actions, is likely to be inefficient and even ineffective. In these cases, ex-ante regulation is needed to go to the root of the problem and to fix it. I will use once again the telecom sector as an example. The right degree and sort of regulation has actually brought more openness and competition to the industry. In telecoms or in other network industries, transport, energy, regulation has ensured that newly privatized incumbents did not foreclose the market. I immediately add that regulation should decline over time as markets become more competitive. We have narrowed down the number of recommended markets that could be subject to regulation in the telecom sector last year, and I expect a further narrowing in the future as competition matures. But regulation should be kept whenever help to market, to market entry is needed, because new players should have their fair chances and incentives to challenge the incumbents and shape the future. I would like to point out a methodological aspect. If we keep our focus on how markets function, we can identify the areas where we can withdraw from regulation and the areas where regulation is still needed. This is the approach that we have adopted, for instance, in relation to next generation networks in telecom. We will strive for the appropriate balance between regulation and competition, while acknowledging the need for private incentives to drive the market. Pro-competitive regulation is also the line that we pursued when after the energy sector inquiry that we carried out in 2007-2008, we pushed a regulatory mandate to unbundle network operations for trading services in the energy market. This goes to show that there is no objective conflict between regulation and competition. The only conflict I know is between bad protectionism and competition. To make markets work well, wise regulation and competition often go hand in hand. In the examples that I have been using, regulation was needed and competition policy guided and informed regulatory initiatives. But it's not always easy to achieve the right balance between these two instruments or to decide when to use what. In some occasions, regulation, in some competition. However, it's not uncommon to receive pressure for competition policy enforcement in areas where regulatory measures would in fact be more adequate. Some recurrent uh, problems caused by the structural characteristics of an industry are better dealt through a good regulatory measure rather than with a merger or antitrust remedy. But because legislative initiatives are difficult, the temptation is there to take the opportunity of an antitrust case to try and resolve structural problems, real or perceived. Someone observed, and I quote, is tempting if the only tool you have is a hammer to treat everything as if it were a nail. An example of this is the Google double-click merger a case that we were dealing with recently, where a lot of pressure was put on the Commission Competition Services to address and remedy issues of privacy over the internet. Online privacy, however, is a much larger issue than this particular merger case of Google and DoubleClick. It's clearly an issue that calls for regulatory measures common to the entire industry not for an opportunistic remedy in the context of a single merger. The financial sector is another example where there are calls for antitrust and merger rules to be used to solve problems going beyond their scope. 
we need a reasonable financial regulation to facilitate sustainable and healthy competition and to deal properly with the problems caused by the nature of the sector. For example, the financial crisis demonstrates very clearly how a lack of effective regulation created incentives for financial institutions to pursue excessive risk-taking in order to achieve short-term gains. The interconnection of the institution, of the financial institutions, or on the financial markets, led to systemic effects that ultimately brought the entire sector to the verge of self-destruction. To make matters worse, there was no regulation enabling the orderly winding up of banks without endangering financial stability. This meant that an essential principle of competition, namely that the exit of inefficient non-viable players should exist, the exit from the market of these non-viable players should exist, this essential principle was not operational. The member states were forced to rescue banks by injecting large amounts of money or the state funds in order to prevent a financial meltdown. For this, I believe regulatory actions are necessary to enhance sustainable and welfare-creating competition in the financial sector. And I certainly believe that current problems cannot be solved only through a case-by-case -case antitrust, merger, or state aid measures in this sector. A regulatory framework is needed for a sustainable and competitive industry to be able to develop. Therefore, although there is an important role for competition policy, I am unwilling to address regulatory problems through competition rules. The opposite problem also exists. We have to be careful not to impose a regulatory measure where a corrective remedy targeting a firm or group of firms would be more efficient. If as a consequence of the crisis, the tide was to turn and legislators became more regulation friendly, overregulation would be a problem to watch for. So to sum up, as a matter of principle, competition law is the proper tool to ensure a level playing field in markets open to competition. Regulation is the exception, not the rule, and regulatory intervention needs to be properly justified. The experience of this crisis over the last two years and a half, and recent trends involving the pace of technological change and increased globalization, have thrown up appeals to use competition policy to solve real or perceived market problems. There will be calls for more competition policy interventions in the financial sector and in relation to the internet where markets are changing rapidly, creating some serious structural disruptions. Some of these uh, requests will be uh, justified, likely be justified. Some, including, as I have said, in the financial sector, will be better addressed through regulation. But we need to be aware that there will be calls for less competition interventions in mature sectors or sectors with, with low growth potential where there will be an instinct by some to preserve large industrial groups at any cost. Overall, in face of these challenges, what we need to do is to clarify very carefully about the problems that require a competition solution or a regulatory solution, or those that require simply the solution of the market. I do not propose, by all these uh, arguments, to enlarge the scope of competition policy. But I do not propose to shrink it either. What I propose is to enforce the competition rules there where competition is being damaged, whether in a new or in an old sector. In these times of difficulties, our model of European social economy needs a functioning single market to recover and to start growing again. And a strong single market to go forward needs a strong and rigorous enforcement of our competition policy instruments. Competition is thus a key part 
of our European exit strategy from the financial and economic crisis, and it must be applied in an intelligent way. This means it must continue to do what it was always meant to do, to promote efficient and innovative firms for the benefit of consumers throughout Europe. I would like to finish these uh, remarks by returning to the house when we are having this uh, conference, the London School of Economics. Its motto is rerum cognoscere causas, to know the causes of things. I hope that with these remarks and the discussion that is about to follow, we are a little closer to knowing the causes of how markets work, why they fail, and what we can do about it. Thank you. think that uh, the financial sector was overregulated before the crisis. I will put you two examples. First, derivatives. Now, we are starting to discuss how to regulate, for instance, uh, central exchanges for derivatives. Uh, till now, most of the derivatives traded every day are over the counter. Lack of transparency. Let me, let me answer, please. Let me answer, please. Uh, after uh, you can uh, add uh, more remarks. Uh, this needs a regulation. If not, we will be objectively increasing the systemic risks and the transmission of any kind of risk throughout the financial markets to the whole economy. Second uh, point. Special purpose vehicles, conduits, all these off-balance sheets that uh, allowed financial institutions in the US, but here also in Europe, to invest in assets that they completely ignored what risks had involved within the structural product, and they were not being supervised by the supervisors because the uh, prudential rules allowed these off-balance sheets uh, instruments and don't include those risks in a consolidated way to have a, an adequate supervision even if the uh, prudential rules, the Basel II rules, were extremely detailed for all those risks that can be observed in the balance sheet but not out of the balance sheet. Two examples, and I can follow, of, about the need of more regulation there where the regulation was uh, very, very scarce or inexistent. And of course, it's not only about the regulation. If you want to discuss the situation of the financial uh, system, the financial uh, markets, the financial in industry, I can uh, uh, come back again another day and uh, pay attention to this because there are a lot of things that are not only about regulation in the financial system. But regarding the regulation, I think uh, almost nobody discusses it. Um, can I take a couple of questions and I'll come back to you, sir, if don't mind, because there's a lot of people fans. I'll take them in groups of three. Uh, gentleman, just behind you, who still what is that? You? Yes, you. Me? Yes. Um, the US regulation and the 
finds that uh, since 2006, the European Commission had decided, and if you pay attention to the uh, next month's uh, finds that I will uh, present to my colleagues for decisions in the European uh, Commission, I have serious doubts that you can say that we are more lenient than the US friends. Uh, in general, we are considered to be uh, more rigorous enforcers of competition. On the one hand, because we have to enforce the state aid rules that does not exist in the US. And the second uh, uh, consideration is that regarding abuse of dominant positions, or unilateral conducts, as they call it in, uh, in the US, we are much more rigorous enforcing uh, our treaty uh, rules that uh, in the US are less precise. Regarding the uh, fight against cartels, we are uh, usually in the same position. And even when uh, US and uh, European companies are involved where the cartel affects both markets at the same time, we cooperate a lot with a very, very consistent view. And uh, regarding mergers, we had in the past some uh, very, very interesting discussions when we uh, adopted decisions uh, that affected US companies because the impact of the particular merger in the European markets. The US authorities uh, at the beginning were a little bit uh, upset because we were adopting decisions that affected the US companies, but now we have a very good cooperation also in this area. So I, I don't think uh, the leniency leans towards the other side of the Atlantic. And my first best is to have the same level of deterrence because we are living in global markets and uh, most of, uh, of the big uh, companies have a global scope and uh, have activities at the same time in, in the US market and in our own markets. Okay, I think we do have a roving mics now. Could we have the gentleman just, just there? Just wait for the microphone. Oh, well, okay, that one. I was the one behind, but next time around. No, you, you, you sir, first. Um, two questions, if I may. Oh, okay. uh, how can we expect the Commission's approach to telecoms um, uh, competition policy to change at all following consolidation in that sector? And also, what effect uh, do you think? But, excuse me, excuse me. What right. As regards, for example, spec next generation spectrum allocation oh. in telecoms, uh, yeah. how does uh, consolidation affect that? And on the alternative investment fund managers directive, what effect will the passporting rules have on uh, international competition? Very quickly, regarding the spectrum allocation, it's mostly a decision uh, on the regulatory side. My colleague Nelly Cruz, former competition commissioner, is now in charge of enforcing the regulation that still exists, as I said before, in the telecoms. But in some cases, I have one in mind that has to be decided in the coming weeks. I cannot uh, speak uh, openly on uh, uh, cases that are under investigation. But uh, we are adopting decisions when uh, one incumbent, for instance, intends to foreclose the new entrants uh, using their dominant position in this, in this sector. Regarding the alternative investment uh, directive, it's being discussed uh, between the, the Council and the European Parliament. Uh, before the end of this month, there will be the so-called trialogue, awful word, uh, as many others use in Brussels. That means that uh, with the participation of the European Commission, my colleague uh, Michel Barnier for uh, Internal Market, we will try to uh, find a common position between the position voted by the Parliament and the position voted by the Ministers of uh, Finance, the ECOFIN. If we succeed to find this common position, we can adopt uh, this directive. Now, in, first, uh, in the first lecture, if not, during the second part of the year, again, the discussion should take place in the Council and in the Parliament for the second lecture. Is, it's too soon to anticipate how this directive will uh, will be finally adopted. Gentlemen, was there a question? Just, just behind that. Yes, you, sir. Yeah. Right. Uh, in your end of your um, this this um, lecture, you've talked about the, the 
regulation should be prudent and just. How do you react to Germany's recent banning of propriety trading and or short selling? Do you see this in the in the event of the entire you know review on regulations, something like this is just? Thank you. Well, to be honest, and don't repeat this outside this uh, room. Uh, I think it's not a wise decision for two reasons. First, because uh, it was a unilateral decision, and we are not talking on unilateral markets. We are talking about uh, markets that uh, are global, not only European, but global. And second, because to ban short selling, I don't think is the solution to the problem they wanted to tackle. WTO subsidies, but I don't think the support that the financial sector, the financial industry is receiving, can uh, have uh, some difficulties on this regard. But uh, what we are dealing with is with a very, very difficult issue. On the one hand, we need to rescue financial institutions that, uh, if they go bust, they will create an earthquake in the full financial sector and through the financial sector in the whole economy. So the rescue is not an option in some cases during a, a crisis of the nature of this one. Second, we have adopted guidelines to establish the limits of what kind of aid is compatible with our rules in an exceptional period of time, such as this crisis. And these guidelines are being implemented case by case or in analyzing national schemes for state guarantees or for treatment of imperasses or for recapitalization of uh, uh, banks. Using these guidelines and the treaty uh, rules of a state aid that allow for this exceptional treatment during the, the crisis such as this one, we are adopting restructuring plans for single institutions, for individual institutions, reducing the size of the balance sheet, uh, forcing them to divest part of their businesses, uh, to adopt uh, some behavioral commitments, uh, given that uh, as they are receiving public aid, they cannot use this uh, leverage to compete against the good players that are not receiving this aid, so on and so forth. In these decisions, we need to first establish the adequate burden sharing. Everybody should contribute to the efforts to restructure an institution. Second, we need to give equal treatment or a fair treatment so as to preserve the level playing field in our markets. And third, we need to adopt restructuring plans and to enforce the implementation of these restructuring plans to put in the market viable institutions and not zombies. So we have a lot of work, and so far, Pascal Lamy and the WTO didn't call us. If he, call, if he calls me, I am a good friend of Pascal Lamy, I will give to him the telephone number of Mr. Tim Geiner, Secretary of the Treasury of the US. Gentlemen, just there. 
As far as your role is concerned, um, would you agree, particularly in the current economic climate, um, promoting innovation within the European economy is absolutely essential to long-term economic growth and rebalancing that economy, particularly in this country where we've become far too dependent in the last 20 years on financial services. And in relation to that, to what extent are you concerned about uh, premature withdrawal uh, of the economic stimulus, which probably in itself has not been sufficiently focused and concentrated on actually encouraging uh, investment in infrastructure and in innovation, but the premature withdrawal of that stimulus um, could lead, and particularly with severe cuts uh, proposed by this government as in other European countries, in sectors which are actually crucial to innovation. I mean, just to take two examples very quickly uh, to economic growth, university funding um, and uh, infrastructure funding. How concerned are you about that? And then just in relation to that, one final point is the Commission's highly controversial proposals to monitor individual uh, European member states' budgets and the point of that. Do you see the point of that as at least in part to ensure that those budgets don't cut uh, spending on innovation in those areas where government actually can do something to encourage economic growth, not choosing national champions, but encouraging uh, more funding in innovation, in research and development, in universities, in infrastructure? Well, this is also for a big uh, speech, but let me try to summarize how I see the situation. Well, first, withdrawal of the exit strategy has one aspect, the withdrawal of the exceptional treatment of a state aid to the financial sector or the state aid to the non-financial parts of our economy, but what I think this will be phased out gradually uh, given the uh, difficult situation that we are still uh, uh, observing. But this will be, this will need to be phased out. In principle for the non-financial sectors, and I have forgotten the question regarding the CAR, for the non-financial sectors we had adopted an uh, exceptional uh, framework also to allow more intense state or public support to the non-financial sectors of our economy that are suffering because of the lack of credit, of uh, financing, and this temporary framework that, among others, has benefited the car uh, industry, in principle should be uh, discontinued at the end of this year, but we will see because uh, the situation is not yet clear enough, so maybe we will need some kind of phase out. And the same for the support for the state aid uh, to the banks and all this. But from the fiscal side, everybody agreed in Europe and also in the US and at the G20 level, IMF was uh, very active on this, the need of fiscal stimulus and a discretional active fiscal policy because aggregate demand was falling very, very quickly and we had not any other instrument to sustain demand. So fiscal policy was, after 30 years, again, the instrument, apart of the monetary policy decisions and quantitative easing and all these things. A few months ago, we were discussing at the IMF meeting in October, at the G20 summit in November last year, we were discussing, well, when to withdraw this fiscal stimulus. Is the end of 2011, the end of 2010. The position at that time, six, seven months ago, seven months ago, the position, even in January, if I remember well, one uh, speech by Dominique Strauss-Kahn, the IMF, they, well, the situation is not the same in the different countries, but if you have the, he told the, the ministers of finance and the, the governments, if you have doubts, it's better to keep, to maintain the fiscal stimulus than to withdraw uh, very soon before uh, the demand 
can be sustained by their own forces. This was January still. After came the Greek crisis. And with the Greek crisis, the sovereign debt crisis. And this has changed completely. And the last uh, messages coming from the IMF is exactly the opposite. <laughs> Budgetary adjustment is needed. Fiscal stimulus should be withdrawn. You should pay attention to the long-term sustainability of your public finances, and so on and so forth. And the uh, euro area in particular is suffering a very, very uh, turbulent period of uh, lack of confidence on the sovereign debt of a good number of uh, their members. So now the budgetary adjustment is uh, point number one of the agenda. The markets had been <laughs> at the origin of this big shift. It's true that the Greek crisis was a real one, but Greece is 2% of the euro area. The euro area is 20% of the global economy. So we are talking about uh, a very, very small economy, but the markets have changed completely. Their assessment and the uh, situation of the markets is very, very worrying for all those who had to finance themselves in the markets, both sovereigns and private uh, companies that have to go there and that are being uh, polluted by the rating of their sovereign. So during the next uh, period, we will be in a completely different uh, perspective. So this stimulus coming from the fiscal side is only affordable for those economies that had not been affected by the sovereign debt crisis in the markets. Who are they? A small number of economies. This is a small number of economies. Very relevant, but a small number of economies. It's a big discussion how to use the firepower of the economies that can still use fiscal policy in a coordinated way. For sure, the next summit of the G20 in a few weeks will discuss this. I don't know the result, but this is a, a real issue because it's very difficult to see if those who can afford an active fiscal policy in this uh, moment are not using these uh, possibilities, how uh, aggregate demand will sustain the uh, growth figures that we want to achieve. Uh, with these uh, budgetary problems, the proposal of an ex-ante consultation of the budgets of the members of the European Union seems to me extremely rational. Extremely rational. This is not to substitute the parliaments at the end will be the parliaments, the sovereigns that will adopt the national budgets, but uh, a coordination of fiscal policies requires this kind of uh, consultation, and not only an information exposed of the budget that were adopted. The question of innovation. Uh, it's true that uh, the impact on growth of uh, the different chapters of the public expenditure or the revenue side of the budget is not the same. And the same as in the financial sector when we will need to uh, strengthen the requirements for capital in the banks. But we will need to be very careful not to kill the financing capacity of the banking system. So less leverage should not lead to less financing to all sectors of the economy uh, in general, the budgetary adjustments should take extremely careful decisions not to kill the parts of the fiscal policy that are the drivers of growth on innovation. I fully, I fully agree with this. But again, to discuss this in an orderly way, we cannot establish as a, uh, an incontestable principle that those who are allowed to discuss on budgets are only the national parliaments. If we have this 19th century concept of sovereignty, we have no solution. Okay, we've got relatively little 
time, like, we just take the gentleman at the very back, and then I promise, like all markets, there's good marks at the first move advantage. I get a chance for the, the, the gentleman who's first spoke to ask a final question. Thank you. Um, you speak of um, striking the very delicate balance on the one hand between attaining social justice and on the other hand uh, maintaining free markets capability and strength to generate economic stability, to generate economic prosperity within the European Union in general uh, and every member state. Do you not think that there exists a fairer alternative in terms of maintaining this balance than the, the case of uh, very authoritarian, very government knows best deliberalization of the market and that this alternative exists in the form of giving companies and their decision makers the choice to promote corporate social responsibility, to promote their own financial stability through tax incentives that you or any government offer. I am in favor of corporate social responsibility and I, I, I appreciate uh, very much some very good examples of how some uh, important companies uh, in, in many countries uh, develop these uh, programs, strategies, but uh, honestly uh, I don't think that this can be extrapolated as if the market will give us uh, social responsibility. I, I don't believe in it. Market by itself will not give us education, health, security, many things that we need to live. There were a lot of hands, but we unfortunately have to finish at half four. I didn't promise the first gentleman a brief second question, so, so.
saw an example of you know, your wonderful command of the relationship between the, the macro and the micro. You talked, your talk was looking very much at the fundamental relationship at the most general level between competition and regulation. You answered really detailed and specific and wide-ranging questions on everything from spectrum management, financial services to the car industry. I have to say it was awfully impressive. Thank you very much for such a detailed and wide-ranging and comprehensive talk.